Good morning, Crosswalk, and welcome to the new normal. This is how we're living now. It's different than it was before, and it seems strange. But the truth is that the new normal, even though it seems strange, when things continue to happen, we become desensitized to them. For instance, we had an employee who tested positive for COVID this week, which means we had to shut some things down, we had to step away, we had to get some testing, we had to make sure that everything was okay. We had to reclean the buildings, which we've done. And um, at this point, praise God, nobody else has tested positive. We'll see what happens after the time that I record this. But that seems to be the new normal. I mean, it's the first time it's happened to us, but many other organizations have had to deal with this sort of thing. When strange things happen and then continue to happen, we become desensitized and then we become used to the weirdness. See, it's like this when you start a new job. You come into a new job and people, tell, people say, this is how we do things. And you think, now, why do you do things that way? That doesn't make any sense. And you try to give them wisdom, right? We always do that. We always try to give them wisdom and say, um, if you did it this way, it would make more sense. And they go, yeah, 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 that's true. But there's a reason that we do it this way. And the reason that we do it this way is such and such or this and that. And it never makes sense. But sometimes we simply have to have a new set of eyes. So here's the question. Have you ever been in a situation that needed new eyes? And were your eyes the new eyes that were able to see things differently? Because that is what our text deals with today. People who had been looking at things one way and then saw them with different eyes and it changed everything that they were about. We're going to jump into the text. It's Matthew 2. We're reading from the New Living Translation as we do here at Crosswalk. So you can pull it up on your phones at home or we'll have it all supported here with all of our technology. So um, it reads like this, and it's a story that you well know. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About, the time, about that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. Now, they were going to ask a question, but I got to tell you, the wise men is my favorite part of the Christmas story. You know where we're going. And again, we probably shouldn't say the Christmas story because it's not Christmas. And I know that some of you have been like, I don't understand why we're talking about this in September. And some of you have said, man, I love looking at this in September, not with the pressure of Christmas coming. So, you know, you're welcome if you like it. And if you don't, it's all right. We'll be through it in nine weeks. But this is my favorite part of the story because the Magi or Magoi, as they are sometimes called, these were not men of the one true God, right? These were not, first of all, they were not monotheists. They, they were pagans, for sure. Um, but they were paying attention, right? And when the stars changed, they did too. We've made this statement a ton of times, which says, love is paying attention. If this is true, then there is one question that we have to ask which is this, what are you paying attention to? Now, if you've watched that Netflix movie, The Social Dilemma, which you know, my family and I have watched, um, it's pretty disquieting and a little unsettling because what they realize is that what social media outlets are selling is not you so much as your attention. 
right? They want to create algorithms that will keep you going, that will get you deeper and deeper. And as we do that, we go deeper and deeper into the mindsets that we have. And as we go deeper and deeper into the mindsets that we have, that are our particular philosophies or worldviews or ideologies, we go deeper and deeper into it, even to the point where it gets weird and we get further and further away from a common truth. Because our attention is so deeply focused and so deeply divided. And it's super disconcerting because it ends up creating a divided populace who are only seeing the things that the algorithm is telling us that we want to see. And it's driving us deeper and deeper into our worldview. Now, here's what's fascinating. The Magi were looking up at the stars as they did, and as they saw a new star appear, someone that had not been there, a star that had not been there in general, they decided, you know what, we got to do something about this. This changes our point of view. Sometimes our point of view can be changed by what we pay attention to. And so you know what they did, right? They went to Herod and they asked him, hey, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. They were struck. You see, they knew the scriptures enough. Their focus, their attention on the star, led them to a study of the word, which led them to action to go and speak to Herod. They were struck, they knew the scriptures, and then they asked the wrong guy. They asked the king, where was the king? Now, what kind of sense does that make to ask a king, where is the king? You see, Herod thought he was the king and he thought that it meant something. He assumed that titles and positions mattered more than the coming of the Messiah. He put all his faith, he put all his, his desire into his position. So let me ask you this question today. In what title and what position do you put your faith? Because Herod had put his faith in his title and his position as king. See, here's, it's a simple question that I ask. What title and position do you put your faith in? It's a simple question. Is it your title, your position? Is it your boss's title, your spouse's position? In what do you put your faith? Because if 2020 has taught us anything, what it's taught us is that things can change very quickly. Things can change very rapidly. And all you thought was real may not be as real as you thought it was. Things change. So what is that, what is that anchor point? What is that bellwether that you can look to and make sure that you're putting your faith in the right thing? It's easy for us to put faith in the things that we've built. I used to have a, a 1987 Toyota Land Cruiser FJ60. It was blue, it was up on 35 inch tires. It was really cool, I really liked it. It was that old style wagon, man, it was so cool. And uh, <clears throat> I rebuilt the engine myself. And when I took it to the mechanic, and some of you may have heard this story before. When I took it to the mechanic, he looked at it and he said, hey, you did a really good job of rebuilding this engine. I said, really? Oh man, I don't know because I've never worked on an engine before. I, I don't trust anything that I've built. And he's like, that's funny. I'll only drive a car that I built the engine because that's the only thing I trust. See, it's easy to build. It's easy to trust in the things that we've built. And oftentimes we are in danger of doing that, especially when, we're, when we are in a time of transition, when we are in a time that things change pretty significantly. Because when we are in that time of transition, and the things that we've built change, move, fall apart. We're not sure what to have faith in. For King Herod, being asked where the king was was deeply unsettling. And in fact, it says in Matthew 2, verse 3, King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this. 
as was everyone in Jerusalem. Listen, the reason why everyone in Jerusalem was concerned was because he was surrounded by a bunch of sycophants, by a bunch of people who would not tell him the truth, by a bunch of people who were scared of what he would do to them politically, even physically. They were scared, and so they just said, whatever you want, and they just kept telling him the things that he wanted to hear. This is why he had an um, unreasonable sense of self-importance, perhaps. And this is why he was so offended when the wise men came and said to the king, where's the king? You can't blame the guy. People wouldn't stand up to him. And therefore, his understanding of things was warped. So then he does an interesting thing in Matthew 2, verse 4. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is this Messiah to be born? Now, this is fascinating because they weren't, he didn't know the scriptures as well as the Magi. When he calls together the teachers of religious law and the priests, the word that is used is sinister in origin. In fact, it is used many times, again, throughout the book of Matthew. Matthew 26, 3, Matthew 57, 27, Matthew 17, 62. But it comes from the Septuagint in Psalms 2, 2, which speaks of rulers who take counsel together against the Lord and his anointed. So this is a nefarious meeting. He was being deceptive. He called together the priests and, and the teachers of religious law, but he was not doing it for a positive reason. reason. Matthew 2, 5, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And see, they knew. They already knew what he was talking about. But you see, they had way too much to lose by following the star. The Magi, they didn't have anything to lose from Herod. They weren't a sycophant. They weren't interested in just making him feel good. So they came and probably innocently asked the king where the king was. The people who were surrounded the king couldn't tell him the truth, even though they already knew what the prophet had written. And of course, that comes from Micah 5 too, right? And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are you not least among the ruling cities of Judah? For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people of Israel. Man, and he makes a delineation there, right? It says two things. He will be a ruler and he will be a shepherd. And there's a difference. Because a ruler gives commands and a shepherd tends to his sheep. To have both in one leader is unusual, deeply unusual. And this is what Micah was foretelling. And this is what the religious leaders, the priests, and the experts in the law knew would come. So Herod does another interesting thing in verse 7. He calls for a private meeting with the wise men. And he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. So he isolates the parties. And by the way, he does it so he can manipulate and control the narrative. When there is not open communication between a leader and his people, between a shepherd and his people, you can get in trouble. And if you ever find yourself isolating people so that you can control the narrative in their lives, you need to watch yourself because you are using the same sort of manipulation that Herod was using and that many leaders have used since then and certainly before then to maintain power. That's what was going on. Matthew 2, 2 8, then he told them, listen, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. Now, this is just a blatant lie that everyone was supposed to believe. And my bet is they knew he was lying, but they weren't going to say anything about it because, again, they had too much to lose. People afraid of losing things will often lie to retain that which they find most valuable. But the kingdom of God is different. 
It's different in that losing is often winning. Dying is living and loss is gain. So if you find yourself in that trap of isolation and deception, you should know you're not living in the kingdom of God. You are not living kingdom of God principles. Why? Because you are more interested in the position and title that you can keep than you are interested in following the will of God, which is incredibly important if you call yourself a follower of Christ. The new normal reminds us that sometimes we live in bizarro world. We don't want the world what the world often calls success. Rather, people of the new normal want the peace of God because that's the peace that transcends no matter what is happening in the world, whether it's today or whether it's 2,000 years ago. So Matthew 2, 9, Herod, you know, has, has talked to the wise men and said, listen, once you find him, let me know where he is. I want to go and worship him. But after this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem it went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. The star remained. See, that's the constant. As God has remained faithful to their journey, he remains faithful to us today as well. Our job is to follow the star. God is still faithful. God still points the way. And I got to ask you this question. Have you felt lost lately? Have you felt out of place in, in the ruckus of the world, in the noise that we hear every single day, in your doom scrolling? Have you felt abandoned? Have you felt homeless? Even because as we've had to isolate, we haven't been able to come together as a faith community. Have you felt abandoned? Have you felt homeless? But the truth is that God still guides. We feel lost when we're not sure what we're following. So what is the star that guides you? In the new normal, you're never really lost. We, have mo we may have moments of despair for sure, but we search for a peace that transcends this understanding of what is happening today. Our job is to obey. And if we're doing our job, if we're doing the job of obeying and following the star, if we're doing what God wants us to do, no matter what else is going on with the world, we are still working to create the kingdom within a world that is definitely broken, that is definitely suffering, that is definitely in pain. I mean, have we forgotten that? With all the difficulty that's in the world? With all the messaging that says everything is falling apart? I'm not saying that it's not. I'm saying that when everything falls apart, we still have a star to look to. And by the way, Matthew 2.10, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. Because when you get it, everything changes. You get to be the joy when the world seems like it is burning. You get to be the hope when the world feels like it's in despair. You get to be the first response to sorrow. And I got to tell you, in our Chattanooga campus, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, we had just a, a sweet, sweet woman, Kim Patton, who just succumbed to the cancer that was in her brain. But man, she was joy and sorrow. She was peace amidst the storm. And while our Chattanooga campus will, will worship with the family on Sunday and will, will lift up praises to God for Kim's life, it's amazing to me that she was the joy in the midst of the sorrow, even though she was the one who was suffering because she got it. She knew where her star was and she knew where to look for it. 
when the hurricane came through Chattanooga, or tornado, I guess it was, and, and hit their house, she was okay. She took it in stride. Her whole family took it in stride because of the strength that she showed. When, the, when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. When we see the star, we're filled with joy and we're filled with hope. We're filled with compassion. We're filled with mercy. We do that because we understand that there's something much greater happening. So what did they do? This is what the Magi did. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. So worship is always the first response to meeting Jesus. We worship him for his goodness. We worship him for his greatness. Even when we don't understand what's happening in the world, we worship him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, of frankincense, and of myrrh. When we find our star, we give up all that we are. But they didn't stop following them. And this is what I find really interesting. Because in Matthew 2.12, it tells us that when it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route. For God had warned them in a dream, do not return to Herod. God knows how to warn his people when danger is imminent. So today, how is God talking to you? And I know I ask that question, and oftentimes when I ask that question, people are not real happy about it because they're like, hey, I don't hear the voice of God. I don't see it. I'm often not clear on what God, what God wants me to do or where he wants me to go. Well, I can tell you this. If you can't hear his voice, get into Scripture. And if you still can't hear his voice, go deeper into Scripture. And if you still can't, then devour Scripture and make it a part of you. And it's possible that God has been speaking the whole time through Scripture, and that's the voice that you've needed to hear. And what does that lead you to? The fruits of that work should lead you to wanting to, number one, increase the kingdom of God. Number two, seek justice and mercy, seek compassion for those who are oppressed, to seek healing, to be sight for the blind, and to show the world what it means to live in a place where God loves us all equally. There's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no man, there's no woman. We're all one in Jesus Christ. So, chapter 2, verse 13, continuing this story. After the wise men were gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, flee to Egypt with the child. And with his mother, the angel said, stay there until I tell you to return. Because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. See, God uses dreams for Joseph, but he may be using a different type of communication with you. That very night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother. The most important thing we need to understand is that Joseph obeyed. Joseph obeyed. Now, when have you been challenged to obey God. When have you been challenged to speak out when you need to speak out? When have you been challenged that the status quo might not be what God wants and a change may need to happen? When you think back on your life, when has God asked you for something and you have obeyed? Because that's when you're deeply in the will of God. So they went to Egypt and they stayed there until Herod's death. 
This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. I called my son out of Egypt. Now this is just smart to continue to listen to God. Even though things aren't as tumultuous when they were in Egypt. But we got to step back a moment. Because we know that the child, we know that Joseph, we know that Mary were safe. But what was going on back in Bethlehem? What was happening with Herod? Because we see horrific leadership because Herod was afraid to lose his title and his position. It says this in Matthew 2, 16. Herod was furious when he realized that the wise men outwitted him, right? So he was angry that they had followed the will of God. You got to understand, part of the reason this whole thing is happening is because Herod doesn't see a greater picture, doesn't see beyond what he wants immediately. He has to control. He has to have power. And so he's going to do anything, do unthinkable things. When you couldn't have imagined that that would happen, this is what Herod does. He sends soldiers to kill all the boys in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and younger. Based on the wise men's report of the star's first appearance. Now this is where it gets really ugly. It's hard to believe that a king would kill his citizens to retain power, but it happened. It seems counterintuitive. Wouldn't you want more citizens? Wouldn't you want to shepherd your citizens? No. He was a king and a ruler, but not a shepherd. Remember, tyrants can't be shepherds. They will beat you into submission, but they cannot care for you. They would never go after the one that left, if we can tie this to another biblical story. A shepherd cares about the one who is left. Shepherd cares about the one who is hurting. Shepherd cares about the one who has gotten into a situation that is difficult for them. A tyrant, a ruler, does not. Shepherds care for others. Tyrants care for themselves. Now Herod's brutal action fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. And of course, the role Herod was playing, he played quite well. But it was nothing new. Power always corrupts. Especially for those who can't see the star or don't care to. A cry was heard in Ramah. Weeping and mourning. Rachel weeps for her children, refusing to be comforted, for they are dead. Now, while this was a literary tool, you probably couldn't hear the crying. Perhaps it was the cries of God that people heard weeping for his children. For whom do you weep today? For whom do you feel pain? Do you empathize with? Do you see their suffering? Because I think empathy is an incredibly important thing for followers of Christ. To hear the cries of those who are in pain is what it means to be Christ-like. So what do we take away from this story? Because we've heard this story so often. What do we take away? Number one, new eyes. Maybe it's time to look at old things in new ways with compassion and mercy. Perhaps this will open our hearts to the entrenched ways that we think the world works. We're learning the world might not work the way that we thought it did. And that's what they had to learn in the first century as well when Jesus showed up. The world might not work the way that we thought it did. Number two, we learn about obedience. The wise men, when they saw the star, they left their homes to search for the new normal. 
Joseph listened, left for Egypt because he was searching for the new normal that God was setting up in his lives. What will we do when we see the things through God's eyes and God's light? The third thing we recognize is that this is an old story, well predicted. And the final text in this pericope reminds us of God's providence. The final text in this pericope reminds us of God's providence. Verse 23, so the family went and lived in a town called Nazareth that fulfilled what the prophets had said. He will be called a Nazarene. You see, God's been at this for a long time. You think new things are happening and they are for us, but they're not for God. I wish we could see through the frustration that is happening right now in the world today into what God is building. I wish we could see through the frustration that is happening in the world today into what God is building, into what he is making and how he has been moving the chess pieces. But sometimes we simply have to have faith that he knows more than we do, that he understands more than we do, that he is hopeful in a different way than we are and that he can show us the way through by giving us a peace the passes understanding that moves us into a new normal to live differently than we've lived before. Friends, I don't know how long it's going to take for us to get back to normal. Maybe it never will. But for those of us who call ourselves followers of Christ, we know this. Our normal is not gauged by what's happening in the world. Our normal is not gauged by whether we have to put a face covering on or isolate. It is not gauged by who we vote for. Our normal is gauged by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who incarnated, became flesh for us, lived a life of ministry, of healing, of mercy and justice, died on a cross for us, was risen from the dead by the power of God, ascended into heaven and left us the Holy Spirit to bring us together, to bind us in unity together around the kingdom of God, not the empire of man. This is our new normal. It will not come from any machinations that man can put together. It will only come by a deep, search and an incredible focus on the star that is Jesus Christ. It moved the Magi. May it move us as well. Let's pray together. God of grace, God of mercy, God of compassion, God who heals all, who sees all, who cries with us and rejoices with us. Lord, in the midst of what's happening today, we need you. And we need you to show us the way through. In the midst of frustration and pain, in the midst of violence, in the midst of everything that is happening, sickness, pandemics, we need you. And while we would love for you to just make it all better by coming right now, if you should wait, we'll be obedient to you. 
because that is the call that you've given us. And while that call of obedience may look a bit different in everyone's life, it has got to have the fruit of building the kingdom of God. And if it does not, Lord, take it from our hearts. Take it from our minds. Take the anger, take the vitriol, take the frustration, take it from us so that we can see joy when we see the star that has not moved but continues to guide. We pray these things in your holy name, Lord, the name of Jesus. Amen.